You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. All right. <laughs> Those online couldn't hear me. But uh, again, I'm so thankful to be here with all of you. And we're in part four of our six-part series titled Surrender. Surrendering to God's vision for your life. And uh, again, thank you for being here. Those of you who have been with us from the beginning of this series, I pray that God has been speaking to you as he has been speaking to me as well. And, And in the last message, we looked at Christ's vision for the family, for his family, the body of Christ, the church. That's you and me, followers of Jesus, together. And if you remember, last week I shared the first half uh, of the, the message. And so today I want to share the second half of Christ's vision for his church, for his body, you and I, a family. You know, I want us to think about unity. Unity is so important. Unity of the church, unity of the body of Christ. And I mentioned this last week, but the Bible has far more to say about Christians followers of Jesus living in harmony and in unity than it says about heaven or it says about hell. God wants us to obey his command, to love one another, to live out and experience true unity, true community, true oneness, true harmony with other believers. Now, of course, when we are face-to-face with Jesus Christ one day in heaven with him, we're going to experience this this real community perfectly. But do you know what? God wants us also to practice this and experience this unity here on earth. Did you know Christ died for the church? Christ died for the church, and that's why unity, the unity of God's family, was something that was on his mind as he approached the cross. Why was this on his mind? It's because he was going to die for the church, for you and for me. And we looked at John chapter 17, in which Jesus prayed before he was crucified. And he mentions this topic, this vision for us, for unity, multiple times in John 17. And so I want us to look at that again. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Jesus prayed this for you. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, today we're going to look at how we can grow to love one another, how we can live this out, how we can live out this unity that Christ died for us to have as brothers and sisters, as part of God's family. So we're going to answer this question. Well, if this is something that God has planned for us to experience and God has planned for us to live out, this unity of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, then what is your part? What is my part that I have to play, that I have to live out in order to cultivate unity in this church family? How can I be an agent of unity in this church Well, as a member of the church, 
I want you to know that you are commissioned by Jesus to do everything possible to preserve the unity, to protect the fellowship, and to promote the harmony in this local church family. And by the way, that applies to all believers everywhere. And I just want to make this encouragement, additional encouragement. If you have yet to, to, to make that choice, to make to choose to be a member here at Northwest Chinese Baptist Church, I want to invite you to come talk to me later or go talk to one of our friends out at that welcome table uh, after service today and ask them, how can I become a member here at Northwest Chinese Baptist Church? But now let's look at this. Okay, last time I had 12 steps, 12 points to make. Today I only have four. Okay, so let's look at these four simple steps. And we're going to start with number one. Here's the first step. If you want to follow along in your bulletin outline, you can. Or you can follow along on the screen. But number one, how we can be an agent of unity in this church. Number one is this. Focus on what we share, not our differences. Focus on what we share, not our differences. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Paul writes this. <coughs> Excuse me. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. <clears throat> All right. I apologize if it's out of order on the screen. But let's think about this for a minute. What does it mean to make every effort? What does it mean to make every effort as Paul is calling us to do? It means to focus in. It means to concentrate on what you can do. You give it your full attention and you choose to be intentional. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And when it says let us focus in on the things that lead to peace and mutual edification, he's saying we need to find and figure out the common things that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of the family of God. And so when you think about it, if you were to think about it right now, what is it that you and I have in common as brothers and sisters in Christ? Can you name? Can you make a list? You don't have to say it out loud. What are the things that we share in common as the family of God? Even though we all know we are all created differently. We are all create masterpieces of God, created unique and special. But what is it that we share? Well, God tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that we share seven big things in common. And these are not all the things. These are not all the things that we have in common. But here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6, we see seven things that we have in common. And so I want you to take a look as I read this passage out loud. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now let's look at this. Did you catch all seven of them? All seven of these things that we share, that we have in common as followers of Jesus, as the body of Christ. What are they? Number one, we are one body, right? Jesus doesn't have multiple bodies. He just has the one, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, we have one spirit. We've all been given the same Holy Spirit. When we made that choice to put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have one spirit. We have one hope. We all share one hope. And what is that? What is our hope? Yes, we say that our hope is in Jesus, right? 
But that hope is that we will see Jesus face to face one day, that he's going to come. He's going to come back one day and bring us home. Because Jesus, he didn't stay dead, did he? He died on that cross. He was put in that tomb. And what did he do on the third day? He rose. He rose again. He rose from the dead. You see, what else do we have in common? Number four, we have one Lord. We don't worship multiple gods here at Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. We worship the one and only true living God. We have one Lord. The fifth thing, we have one faith. And that faith is contained and is revealed in this one book, God's Holy Word. Not multiple books, God's one book, the Bible. And it's this one faith that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. The sixth thing we have in common, we have one baptism. And what does it mean? It means that you don't have to get rebaptized. It means that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we've been baptized through the Holy Spirit. And yes, we, we, we participate and we follow Jesus in, in obedience through water baptism. We have one baptism. And of course, there's only one God. It's our Heavenly Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So what, he say, what is he saying? We share the same salvation. We share the same forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We share the same grace that has been poured out upon each one of us as followers of Jesus. We share the same mercy. We share the same life. And we share the same future. See, these factors are far more important than our gender, than our race, than the, our economic status, your background, or your sins. These things that we share in common are more important than any of those things. These are the things that God wants us to focus on. The things that we have in common, and not our personal differences. But it's also important to remember this. Yes, we are all different, and we do need to celebrate our differences as well. How God created us each unique and gifted us through his Holy Spirit with different gifts to do, different things that he's created and called us to do. But yes, let's remember what we do have in common. You see, we should celebrate what we have in common just as well as we should celebrate and value and enjoy and learn from the differences that we see in one another in our family God doesn't want us to merely tolerate one another. Did you know that? There's a lot of talk, right, in our culture today that we need to tolerate one another. And yes, tolerating each other, it might be a positive step. But see, remember what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. He gave them this new command, and it's to do what? Did he say, I command you now, I'm getting ready to leave and to die on the cross, so I want you just to all get along and tolerate one another. What did he say? He said, I command you, love one another. And he clarified it by this, love one another just as I love you. Jesus sets the standard. Let's not settle for tolerance. Let's aspire to love. And not just aspire to it, but we know that loving one another can be a reality in Christ. Because if God commands us to do this, he gives us everything we need to do it through his Holy Spirit. We are called and commanded to love one another. You see, God wants unity. But I want you to know he doesn't want uniformity. 
He created us different for a reason, for a purpose. But we must never let our differences divide us. We must never let our differences divide us. We should celebrate them, but we should not let them divide us. We have to stay focused on what matters the most. And what is that? The commands of God. The commands of Jesus Christ. The word of God. Learning to love each other as Christ has loved us. And fulfilling God's purpose for our lives and for his church. You and me. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. Because I think it too. Oh God, that's so great. That's something so great to aspire to. Yes, I want to love one another too. But what about, what about the differences? And what about those members of the church that irritate me to no end? Now, of course, no one irritates me here. Because I love all of you. Okay? But I'm just talking about someone else. Okay? What am I supposed to do with the people that irritate me? And sometimes it's, it's so strange how it's the people that I want to love the most, my brothers and sisters, that oftentimes irritate me the most. How can I be unified with somebody and love someone who irritates me? Well, let me share with you a couple of passages here. First, let me say this. Okay? Conflict. Conflict is not always bad. Conflict can be productive, and we can grow from conflict. But conflict is oftentimes a sign that the focus has shifted to something that's less important. Something that the Bible calls, in Romans chapter 14, disputable matters. I want you to remember that term, disputable matters. And you want to read this in Romans chapter 14. And here's the thing, there's some things that we have to agree on. Like, of course, who Jesus is, is God's son. That Jesus is God. That he was fully man and fully God. That Jesus died on the cross. That he rose from the dead. That he's coming back one day. That the Bible is in there. There's no error in it. That it's the very words of God. See, these are non-disputable matters here in this church and as followers of Jesus. But disputable matters are things where well-meaning Christians, well-meaning brothers and sisters can have different opinions. How many of you have been, don't raise your hand, how many of you have ever been irritated by somebody else's opinion or perspective? All right, I think we could all raise our hand, right? I'm raising my hands, okay? I confess, okay? But in Romans 14, that whole chapter is about this. And I encourage you to read it this week. But Romans chapter 14, verse 1, check this out. Read it on the screen. Silently, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, I don't want you to focus on that first part uh, and, saying, and, just, and use that as an excuse. Well, look, I can call people weak when they don't agree with me. What I want you to look at, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, this is not a hard verse to understand, but it is a hard verse to live out. And in, this, in the message translation, this helps us to kind of understand the point and, and the truth of this. In Romans 14.1, in the message version, it says it like this. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Did you hear that? Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do. 
And that means don't jump all over people every time they say, every time I say or I do something that you don't agree with. This is scripture. This is the word of God. Romans 14.1. They have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Treat them with grace. Don't quarrel over these disputable matters. It's okay to have your opinion. And it's okay for me to have my opinion in regards to this one thing. But let's not let it divide us. You see, did you notice that phrase at the end? Everyone has their own history, their own experience that led them to this point, that has led them to having this, this perspective or, or living in this way or acting in this way. And it doesn't mean everyone's right in what we do and what we believe. You see, but we need to remember. So how can we deal with this? How can we live out Jesus' command to love one another when we have all of these differences? You see... I want to encourage you to ask the right question. Oftentimes, when, when I'm irritated with somebody or when somebody doesn't agree with me, I often ask the question to myself. I don't think I've ever said this to anyone out loud, but what is wrong with you? I'm trying not to look at anybody specifically, okay? What is wrong with you? <laughs> but I'm asking the wrong question. I want to encourage you. As we think about how to apply this command, how to live this out, and to protect the unity of the body, of the family here at Northwest, let's ask a different question. Let's ask, what led you to this? What led you to act in this way? Or what led you to believe this or to form this perspective? Because here's the thing. Right? There's always crisis behind a behavior. There's always experiences that have formed and shaped us to what, how we think and how we act at this point in our life. And if people have been hurt, oftentimes hurt people hurt other people. And if you find someone who's hurting other people, I encourage you, don't ask, what is wrong with you? But instead, seek to learn what is it that happened to you? And you will find, as you take that opportunity, as you invest the time and the energy to get to know someone and to get to know where they're coming from, God will reveal to you and show you how you can love them. You see, Paul understood the great importance of unity in the family of God. And so he's so passionate. And he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I want you, if you, you like to write things down or circle things, circle those two phrases. Appeal to you and united in mind and thought. Appeal to you and united in mind and thought. For real unity to be protected and for us to experience that, for it to happen, for us to protect it here at Northwest, it must be both a passion and a purpose. You see, what is Paul doing? I appeal to you. I am pleading with you, almost saying I am begging you to protect the unity. Don't let anything become between you and your brother or sister in Christ. 
You see, for unity, there has to be passion and there has to be a common purpose. And let me give you a second step in being an agent of unity. A second step is this. Realize that I must continually work at it. Realize that I must continually work at unity. And what I mean by work at unity is work at protecting unity. Because here's the thing about unity. The fact is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, unity is already a reality. Did you know that? A lot of times when I was working with uh, the youth, you know, for the past 12 years, one of the things when we would get together and we ask, okay, guys, what do we want for our youth group? You know what people would say? We want unity. We want us to be united. And one thing I would always want to encourage them with is this. You know what? The fact is that Jesus died. And because he died and he rose from the dead, we are united because of what he has done. But here's what we need to do. We need to live out this unity and we need to protect this unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We must work at protecting it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here we go. Make every effort. It means that it's going to take some work. You see, Unity, it's a present reality in Christ, but we must work at maintaining it. We must work at protecting it. This doesn't just happen because we all know, right? All of us have been in some type of disagreement with someone. Someone has hurt us or we have hurt somebody. And we know that things come up and we don't always navigate them perfectly. We have to work at it. We have to put effort in. We have to be intentional. We have to be willing to surrender to Jesus Christ and follow his word and live it out and think about what would it mean for me to love you in this situation. Unity happens only when we're intentional and only when we can say for ourselves that I am going to do my part. And yes, we all know that God is ultimately in control. But God does not control us like robots. We have a part to play. And you and I have a part to play in protecting the unity of our family, the body of Christ. We need to make every effort. Well, how do we do this? Well, let me give you a couple of things not to do in our desire to protect the unity. Here are things not to do. The first thing is this. Don't bring worldly values into the church. When we realize that, that unity requires work, here's something not to do. Don't bring worldly values into the church. Why? Because every time you bring worldly values into the church, it causes division. Right? When we prioritize anything else besides what God has prioritized in his word, we're going against God. And see, we're bringing division to the church, to the family. You see... One of the world's values, and we see it everywhere today, is what? Is, is this world is full of idolatry. Idolizing pop culture. And I just want to speak specifically real quick to pop culture. And what is pop culture in general? It's just whatever the majority, you know, prioritizes, that's the direction that we go. Those are the things that we think about. Those are the things that we work towards. We have a problem today. Our world idolizes pop culture. You see, and with social media and the advancements in technology today, everybody wants to be liked and everybody wants to be noticed. 
It can't be that way in the church. It can't be like that in the family of God. Because here's the thing. The important thing about us as followers of Jesus is not how many people like us and not how many people notice us, but God cares about character. God cares about our hearts, right? He doesn't care about the outside and the mask that we wear or the image that we portray. God cares about what's inside, who we are, our character on the inside, not fame, not reputation, because there's a big difference between fame and character, isn't there? A lot of people are famous nowadays for what? For just being known. If you ever open up YouTube or you look at Instagram, you look at how many views, right? How many views people have or how many subscribers they have. But see, what does God say? What matters to God is the inside. What matters to God is not that you are known, but what, what you are known for. Character. See, now, whenever we focus on personalities, when we focus on preferences, when we focus on power, when we focus on pleasure or prestige or popularity, guess what? Division is always going to happen. But, but when we concentrate on our relationships, when we concentrate on following Jesus, when we concentrate on what Jesus has done, we talked about worship in Bible study today, when we keep Jesus the center of our worship, when we remember what he's done, and we remember what he's called us to do, when we remember the reality of what it means that we are new creations in Christ, then we give God the praise, we give Jesus the glory because he's the one that did the work. He's the reason that we have hope and joy. He's the reason that we are a family, that we have purpose. He's the one with the plan and he's the one that's going to complete the plan. Glory to God. You see, the church in Corinth, they were having a lot of conflict they had a lot of division in their church family for many, many different reasons. But one of the biggest ones of all, one of the biggest reasons they were divided is they started giving their loyalty and focus so much on who their leader was going to be as opposed to focusing on their loyalty to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. You see, this, this created division in the body. They were saying... I like this leader. I like that leader. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. I'm a part of this party. I'm a part of that party. That's my guy. <laughs> You're not that guy. And they brought it into the church. You see, Paul actually wrote a letter to them to rebuke them. And that letter is 1 Corinthians. It's filled with rebukes to Christians who had started acting like unbelievers. In fact, in every chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with a different cause of division here. And so let me just show you one. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it to you. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Then he gives an example. He says in verses 4 and 5, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what, what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Here he says, when you start having personality issues and, and people start choosing, I like this leader, oh man, this pastor is better than this pastor, oh, that church is better than this church because of that person and that person, 
But I don't like that person. I don't like that leader. I don't like that pastor. When we start to think like that and act like that, there's going to be division. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If, if you ever let me or another pastor or some celebrity or some politician or even yourself cause division in the church, you're going to know. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that worldly values have seeped in to your heart and to your mind and into the church. We need to avoid bringing what the world thinks is important into the church. Here's the second thing to avoid. Don't get sucked into the world's fights. Don't bring worldly values into the church and don't get sucked into the world's fights. Now, I don't have to tell you, do I? Now, there's a lot of conflict out there. There's a lot of conflict in our world today and in our culture. People are arguing about everything. But well, we don't argue here, do we? We don't argue about anything because we're united. I'm being sarcastic. Oftentimes we argue the most, and we do so in the name of God. We do so in the name of Jesus Christ, when really what we're doing is we're bringing in the world's fights into the church. You know, here's one example. When I was interviewing to become the English pastor here at Northwest, there were many opportunities that you all had to, to ask me questions. And I really cherish those times. I did appreciate them and I actually enjoyed them because I learned a lot and I was able to share my heart. But when I think about that, okay, what if I was on the other end? What if I got to ask questions to the pastor that was coming here? You know, with this limited opportunity, I would think, what kind of a question would I ask a potential pastor? Well, obviously, I'm usually going to ask a question that revolves around something, a topic that's very important to me and that I think is very important to other people. But out of all the questions that, that people could ask me, there were some that chose to ask me about, can you guess, politics. I mean, it's curiosity, I don't know, is that what was important to them? And using that to, to evaluate me, I don't know. But they chose to ask me about politics, and I must admit, Politics is, is not something that I concern myself with a great deal. I know we do our part, and we all have a role to play. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we get rid of it. I'm saying God uses that as part of his plan for his glory. But the pol this topic of politics, it, does, it did make me think. It does make me think about what does Jesus say about politics? Well, the truth is, Jesus doesn't talk a lot about politics. In fact, there's only two statements that Jesus makes that I can find uh, in regards to political statements. Jesus said this in John chapter 18, verse 36. When he was asked a political question, he said, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Did you know, brothers and sisters, above all else, we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. We have a new citizenship. We've been given new life. We have a new family, the body of Christ. Amen. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, right, my servants would fight. But this is not our fight. This fight that was going on out there that people thought was about power and, and politics, even in Jesus' time, he's saying that's not our fight. 
He's saying our battle is what? Our battle is spiritual. And not only that, but the weapons that we fight with are different as the church. As Christians, yet, see, I'm not saying, hey, we're totally apart from this world and we should have nothing to do with this world. No, we have a great part in this world. And if anything, when you study the Bible, you see that God, what God has called us to do. You see that as Christians, we're called to speak up for the truth. We're called to speak up for those who are vulnerable. We're called to speak up for the elderly, for the widow, for the unborn, for the poor. We're called in Scripture to speak up for those who are imprisoned and oppressed and outcast and wronged. You see, these are moral issues that can be backed up with hundreds of verses of, in Scripture. And in fact, did you know that there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about taking care of the poor? And there's about that same number that, that, that talk about how we are all we should all be treated justly. Justice. There's thousands of verses about that. And we have to wonder about what we're going to do with these issues. But let's think about it. What is it? What is it that we're arguing about? What is it that we're irritated about lately in regards to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, if you've been on social media, you know that there's a lot of Christians out there who like to pick a fight. And uh, this is one of the things that grieves me the most. Where your social media can be used to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and, and to bring reconciliation, do all kinds of good things in the name of Christ. Yet some people use it to carry out their bitterness, to express their bitterness, and to attack and to seek revenge. But what do we, what do, we do then? What do we do with, with our brothers and sisters that want to pick a fight we need to always go back to the word of God. We need to always look at the commands of Christ. You see, it's not about my opinion. I want you to know that. Family, church family, it's not about my opinion or your opinion. Let's look at what God says. And let's seek to live in obedience to his word. It's what God says that matters. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, or 23 and 24 it says this about dealing with people who like to fight and like to get into arguments. It says, don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone and able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. You see, and if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to seek to not get caught up in these arguments. You see, I want to go to the second point. We're going to skip through some slides here. But the second point is this. Be realistic in my expectations. Be realistic in your expectations. That's the third one. Well, life is full of unrealistic expectations. Um, but here's the thing. Oftentimes, we... We focus on the ideals and what we think things should be like. But we need to remember that we are a church, and every church is full of broken people. All of us have sinned and fall short. And so what we need to do is we need to know that we, there are going to be differences. There are going to be conflicts. But let's do our part. Let's do and make every effort to maintain the unity. You see, Psalm 119.96 says this, 
To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. We need to look to the word of God and seek to live that out if we desire to be an agent of unity in the church. You see, Jesus died for the church. Jesus passionately loves the church. And I ask you, dear brother and sister, do you have that same love for the church? You see, church, it's not about the name. It's not about a brand. It's not about a building. It's not about programs. Church is all about the people. The people. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We need to be realistic with our expectations. And I want to move on to the next point. Because I want us to see this. We need to offer encouragement. I want to move to this last point. We need to offer encouragement instead of criticism. Now I know this is so countercultural. Our cultural, our culture is not one to prioritize encouragement, is it? But we are great at criticizing. Right? There are people that make a living on critiquing. Okay, and making observations. Criticism isn't always bad, but let's prioritize encouragement. There's something called constructive criticism, where the goal is to help, but let's prioritize encouragement. Romans 14, 19, and 20 says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Remember, I mentioned disputable matters. Paul elaborates here. You know what they were fighting about? They were fighting about food. Ribeye or porterhouse, in and out or Culver's. I don't know if those two are comparable, but... I mean, we talked about steak in Bible study earlier. Well, some of you just woke up. Ribeye or porterhouse, which one's the best? <laughs> More encouragement, less criticism. And I know what you're thinking, right? Pastor Steve, I, encouragement is great. But what do you do if something is wrong? What do you do with people that are just wrong? <laughs> do you ignore them? Do you criticize them? The answer, of course, is no. What do we do? Proverbs says this, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. You see, we live in a culture of negativity, and it's always easier to stand on the sidelines and to take shots than it is to get involved and to contribute and be a part of the process in changing the culture and conforming it to the word of God. You may not realize this, but when we criticize another believer who is doing something in faith and from a sincere heart of conviction, we are interfering with what God is trying to do. Do you know that when you criticize another brother or sister in Christ who to the best of their knowledge is doing what they think in faith God is calling them to do, and maybe you don't like it, Maybe you don't agree with it. Maybe you even think it's wrong, but they are doing it with a clear conscience in accordance to God's word, and we criticize them. We are sinning against our brother. We are sinning against our sister. We are sinning against God. Romans 14, 
Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand for all, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Look at Romans 14.10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. You see, when I judge you, if you're a believer, or when I judge any other believer, four things instantly happen. Number one, I lose fellowship with God because I've sinned against them. Number two, I expose my own pride and insecurity. Number three, I set myself up to be a judge. And number four, I harm the fellowship, the unity of the church. You know, let me just sum it up this way with these two verses. These two verses represent two different choices that we need to make today and we need to make every day if we are going to protect the unity that Jesus died for us to have as his body. Here's the first one. The first choice is to live, to live a life willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Not to be critical, not to be judgmental of other people and of other Christians. And the second choice is this, is to live Christ-centered. Choose not to be critical, choose not to be self-centered, but choose to get to know where other people are coming from. And choose to encourage rather than criticize. But secondly, this, choose to live a Christ-centered life, a life of worship, as we learned this morning in Bible study. To focus in on Jesus Christ, to focus in on God's word. And see, this first passage is this, Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. See, in 1 Peter 3, 8, says this. I want to end with this passage. 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Finally, as we end our time this morning, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You see, here's the thing, right? Jesus prayed this prayer, right? That we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Jesus is still waiting for this prayer to be answered as we live day by day and protect the unity that he died to provide for us. We can be an answer to Jesus' prayer today and every day when we choose to obey, to love one another just as he loved us. Let's stop letting the things of the world, let's stop letting our, our petty arguments and disagreements and perspectives divide us. And let's choose to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Would you do that, brother and sister? I want to invite you to stand right now. I want you to bow your head with me and pray. Would you pray with me? You know, we looked at a lot of scripture today. And if it is your desire to live in obedience to Jesus Christ in this way, I encourage you, brother and sister, right now, just between you and God to pray, Jesus God, help me to love like Jesus. Help me to love like you. God, help me not to get caught up in the ways of the world or the other fights of this world, but God, help me to care about what you care about. Help me to do my part.
God, help me to surrender and submit to your will and to your word today. God, I ask for your forgiveness for the ways that I've sinned against you, that I've sinned against my brothers and my sisters, and I pray, God, that you would help me to reconcile, and God, that you would bring forgiveness to, to my relationships. If I need to ask for forgiveness, God, help me to do that. And God, if I need forgiveness from someone else, God, help me to forgive them. And maybe that first step for you today is to put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, I encourage you to pray this and just to say this between you and God. God, I know that I've sinned. I'm not perfect. And God, I realize that you've created me to live a life of love and to be a part of a local church family and to be a part of this family. And God, I pray that you would help me. God, that, that Jesus, you would forgive me and that Jesus, I, wanna, I want you to be my Lord and I want to follow you all the way to heaven. And, and, and God, I ask you today, help me to learn to love like you. God, we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're going to sing this song. And if you've made a decision today, I invite you as we sing to come so that I can pray with you. And so that if you share that with me, I can rejoice with you or I can come alongside you and encourage you. And if you, God has led you to make a decision this morning, maybe you have been a cause of division. Maybe you've contributed to division. I encourage you, come and let's lay it all down at the feet of the cross. Let's lay it all and give it to God. And if you feel like led to pray uh, here at the steps, I encourage you to come as we sing. Would you come? If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you so much for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.